This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Welcome to First Contact, stories of the call center podcast, where we share the stories of well-known thought leaders and discuss all things related to the contact center space. Join us in this journey to hear stories of success, failures, and lessons learned from the contact center world. This is brought to you by Nobel Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center carrier and software needs. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our next episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Very excited for today's topic and guest. Now, look, we're going to be diving into workforce management with one of the most prolific women speakers of this type of enterprise solution. Now, she is the contact center whisperer, the expert, Juanita Coley. Thanks so much for joining. Now, for those of you who don't know Juanita, though, Juanita is the CEO and founder of Solid Rock Consulting, a workforce management consulting firm. When she's not busy winning the 2022 Most Influential Technology Advisors, she's constantly on a mission to normalize women in tech and to make a positive, purposeful impact. That's awesome, Juanita. Congratulations on this award and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Christian. Um, I, I, well, I don't even need to say anything. I, you summed it up right there. <laughs> All right, let's drop the mic. Cut, cut. We're done. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining. <laughs> Thank you, though, so much for having me. I'm always um, humbled and honored to to grace platforms to be able to, like you said, make impact. That's That's the goal, make impact. Well, look, you can't make impact. You can't create change without something happening, some kind of friction, some sort of interaction. And so you have uh, a history, a background, and that's part of the show. We want to know what your background is. How did you get to where you are today? What got you specifically for this show into the contact center space? We always talk about how not everybody wakes up and says, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be in the contact center space. That's really not the reality. A lot of times we just get into there. So Juanita, what is your journey? What's your story? What got you here? Well, it's so interesting, the timing of this show, because I just released the trailer for a documentary that I'm releasing. Uh, So that's the big project. I've been saying, oh, this huge announcement is coming. And so we just dropped on Friday or Saturday, rather, October 15th, we dropped the announcement. And it was that I'm releasing a documentary. I get asked that question all the time. Juanita, why are you so passionate about the contact center? What was it that drove you to contact center. And so in the documentary, I really talk about that. And um, I'll share a little bit with you today. Uh, I was a teen mom. So by my junior and senior year in high school, I had what was called OJT, on-the-job training, which is a class that allows you to work for high school credit. I had already taken all of my English threes and my science classes, my math classes. I was always fairly academically ahead of schedule. So my junior and senior year in high school, I had OJT on the job training. And so I was working in a call center. I found myself working in a call center answering phones. And I picked up a book. I'm going to date myself. I picked up a user guide (laughs) that was called Blue Pumpkin. And uh, it was a workforce manual of how to use the particular tool, the workforce manual, uh, the workforce solution. And that discipline just really bit me and and I took a hold to it. I fell in love with the discipline of workforce management and how it powered the contact center. That's how I saw it at that time. It was a discipline that really powered the contact center and I fell in love with it. So I went on to 
work in workforce management departments and run contact centers at, at your United Health Carries, your Liberty Medicals, your Walgreens. Absolutely fell in love with the discipline. And then I actually moved over to the, the technology companies and went to go work at Aspect and Varen. And I saw that there was this huge gap between the technology and the user of how companies were actually using the technology. And I said, man, there has to be a better way to implement these technologies so that companies are getting the full use out of the solution and they're not just getting bits and pieces of the solution. And so we started Solid Rock Consulting and the rest is really history. We have had so much massive success because we see that time and time again, organizations implement a piece of technology and they don't really understand the discipline. And so then they say, that the technology doesn't work. And it's not that the technology doesn't work, it's that they don't have a good understanding of the technology. They don't have a good understanding of the discipline itself. And so we really focus on the discipline of workforce management, the discipline of contact center, and then we layer technology on top of it. And so that's kind of my story, my Cliff Notes version, if you will, <laughs> of how I got introduced into the contact center space. And um, I just really feel very passionate about getting more women involved in the space and minority groups involved in the space. Like you said earlier, Christian, no one wakes up and says, oh, I want to go work in the contact center, right? Like if you ask a child anywhere around the world, what do they want to be when they grow up? They're not going to say a call center manager. They're not going to say a call center director. And I want to change that, right? They're going to tell you, they're going to tell you, I want to be in the NFL. I want to be in the NBA. I want to be an artist. And they're going to say that because that's what's visible to them. And so I want to show them it's cool to work in the world of communications, because that's really what contact center is, is communicating, effectively communicating with customers um, and making that cool and um, making it something that's more visible. And so that's my mission is to normalize women and minority groups in the technology and the contact center space and leadership roles. And that's why I'm passionate about it. So much to unpack. <laughs> so you have the, the right. You have the documentary that you, you mentioned, which is uh, I think it's called the Road to the Crown, right? And you have the the project as um, really your story and other pieces. So for those that are interested, obviously, uh, we'll be able to at the end to say like, how do you how do you get access to that? How do you be able to engage in that content? But with that said, you you said. You've gone through this journey, seen that gap between technology and the actual use case application. Now, in Solid Rock Consulting, when did that start? What made you go to say, okay, I'm the one who has to solve this problem. I have to be a business owner. I got to go out and make that leap, which is a huge leap for people to become business owners. And where, where is that today? What has that been, that journey, that piece? Wow, Christian, that's a really <laughs> that's a really good question because I actually kicked and screamed the whole time there. Like being a business owner was not something that I necessarily wanted to do. Um, it was more of a necessity. Uh, and so <laughs> in part of the documentary, you'll see when the full documentary comes out, uh, I there was this huge gap. So Solid Rock actually started in 2012. So we're a 10 year old business. July, we hit 10 years. Right. Um, and for maybe the first four years or so, we were kind of just like playing around like, OK, we'll 
I don't really think people will take us seriously from a workforce perspective or a contact center perspective. Um, while that literally is what companies as an employee hired me to do. And I had such a great network of those individuals around me. I don't know if it was a lack of confidence or just a lack of what I felt support. But we when we first started, we really started helping small businesses leveraging the workforce discipline. So in my first book, The Corporate Playbook, that's what the book is actually about. The audience for The Corporate Playbook, which is my first initial book, is written to startups. And I was telling them in the book about how they can leverage all the things that I learned about workforce management and contact centers in their startup, how you have to have data, how you have to have a forecast, how you have to have real-time analytics, right? I was using basically the WFM discipline to coach and help startups. And I really knew that my what I was supposed to be doing was really contact center consulting, but I really just didn't have the audience or what I felt like was the audience or the support. Uh, so for the first couple of years, we just really did a lot of startup consulting. And then um, we got this one company, which was um, one company, they they sold themselves on us. They were like, listen, we need your skill set. We want you to do this work. And they basically had to sell us to do the, their work. Right. And so that's actually what made the light bulb go off to say, OK, Juanita, you really do. You're expert in this. You've done this in Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 companies, there is a need for it. Just have the the guts, I guess, to do it. And um, that's really kind of how that started. And, and so one customer turned into another and we started to actually partner with tech companies to say, hey, if you're selling a WFM solution, um, then we can help with that WFM training. And one thing turned into another and and here we are today, 10 years later, a very successful consulting practice and training and development arm for a lot of um, technology companies, workforce management department, so uh, or the solution that they're training. So that's kind of the journey without being like super, super long. The documentary is an hour and a half by itself, and it's, it's, um, it's a lot to digest uh, from what that journey looked like. But that would that's how we got into I got into entrepreneurship. So now we're over uh, 15 to 20 consultants uh, that are full time in house. Um, and we have a slew of contractors that we leverage when we need to staff up. But um, we're growing and we're growing rapidly. And I'm I'm always humbled and honored to be chosen for this particular path that I'm, we're on. That's awesome to hear. And one of the things that's so interesting about this topic is there's this gap between what you say is the real world and what the solution tech stacks offer in the marketplace. And there's almost this idea where tech companies don't realize or they don't want to admit that that gap exists. And in doing so, it leaves obviously room for consultants and businesses that's, that notice that gap and say, I have this sweet spot I can fit into to help people figure out their process and then where technology makes sense to put it in play. And now, of course, for companies that are on the tech side, uh, they can map out these ideas. They can understand the nature of these gaps. And, and that's a great start for them. But translating that and adapting that in a way to be able to get the customer to the real world outcomes that they want, not the buttons and the features and the functions, but the outcomes. 
You know, the technology is just the conduit to that outcome. They don't care necessarily per se the brand or how it works is, does it do this for me? And then to take it a step further, maybe for you as a consultant is not, can it do this, but have you thought of being able to do this that you hadn't thought of and take it to the next step? Now, from your side, right, you can see what tech companies do and you can see what your customer wants. And then obviously their end customer, which is uh, ultimately uh, the end customer there. So what do you see as some of the top things that tech companies need to identify within themselves to realize these gaps and do something about it? Anything that comes to mind? One of the biggest things that I see is the professional services, right? Like this is a huge gap. That education piece, it's almost, I. the simplest terms I can ever explain it is almost like saying, you know, you're leveraging and I'll use something completely outside of our industry so nobody thinks I'm picking on them, right? <laughs> it's almost like saying, you know, I'm going to go and buy QuickBooks, right? I'm going to leverage QuickBooks. Everyone knows what QuickBooks, QuickBooks is an accounting software, right? You can send out invoices, you can do, you know, income uh, statements, balance statements, all of these different things, right? So it's accounting, it's an accounting piece of technology. It's almost like buying QuickBooks and leveraging it in your organization without an accounting department, like you would never do that <laughs> um, and you would never. And, and even if you did. Right. Even if you said, well, we don't have an accounting department, you would never leverage QuickBooks without somebody who understands accounting. Right. Like even if you just had that one CPA or that one individual who understood what the point of QuickBooks was, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. You would say, OK, I need a person who understands Profit and loss statements, balance sheets, how to send out invoices, how to accounts receivable, accounts payable, um, income, you know, assets, liabilities. I need a person that understands that in my business, right? The financials. I need someone who understands the financials. And then you would get them the software, the technology to be able to expedite or scale their job, right? The, the results that you're looking from for that person. Well, many times I find in the contact center space that people do that, organizations do it completely backwards, right? They go and find the technology. And I'm a technology lover. I love technology. So I'm not anti-technology, okay? But I see that people, organizations do that completely backwards sometimes. They go in uh, because we have awesome salespeople. They sell them on these features and pieces Right. And they don't even have the people inside of the organization that understands the discipline at all. And so once they get past professional services implementation, they've implemented the tool, they've hit the go live button. If anything changes within that organization, they're dead in the water. They're stuck. I see that so many times. They're like, well, this, and then they're like, the technology doesn't work. Well, no, it's this is how you do it. The, the technology does work. You just don't have a fundamental understanding of, let's call it workforce management or quality, right? You're just for the sake of, you know, you just implemented this quality product, but you don't understand um, calibrating. You know, every quality department should have a calibration process. Well, you're saying that the QM technology doesn't work because you're not, you don't have a cal calibration process. So that's one of the biggest things that I always see is organizations don't have the right people in place to support the technology. And then they expect the technology to do the heavy lifting. Uh, so that would probably be my number one. 
Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com. You know, it's interesting you say that because the business runs, right? It's making money or it's creating the experience or the outcomes that you want to some extent. It's not like you're starting it from scratch. There's something happening every day with all the people and the systems, whether you like them or not, whether they're the most efficient or not, they're working, they're doing something. And so this concept that you want to run very lean, very efficient, you don't want to have a lot of redundancy with too many people that are there just in case. Um, and so what ends up happening is you lack subject matter experts, people that spend the time and the effort outside of their own comfort zone, outside of their own ecosystem, learning what's going on in the industry, what are best practices outside of what they do today, what are the technologies that should be out there and how best could you use them with the outcome you want. And then the technology guys, you know, all of the companies are sitting there going, yeah, hey, no problem. We have feature X or Y, or we have this piece. But if you look at technology today, it's not just one thing that solves all problems. You have tons and tons of layers of systems where your data resides, where your customer information resides, your everything from your recordings to your scripting, to your routing, to all the medias, to the agent experience, to the self-service side. I mean, I can go on and on and on about all the different places that if people are siloed, they don't understand each of these different things. They don't see them as the big picture. And how does it affect customer experience? How does it affect outcomes, right? And so when you look at what you're talking about is if you don't have a technology company and an internal set of resources that blend really well, you can miss the boat. You could check the box of workforce management or QA or bots or any other technology and it's just not going to work. Or you're going to say what you just said, well, the product doesn't work as is expected or the product doesn't work. A lot of times it's not the fact that it doesn't work. It's that three things happen, right? You never got to the so what. What is the thing I'm really trying to get out of this versus just checking a box? The assumption train, which is literally assuming the customer is the expert in their business. And so all you do is give them the manual and say, here, have fun. Get on the ship and, and enjoy the ride. And then on the opposite side, you have the customer going, hey, you're an expert in your product. You should have already done this 100 times with people just like me. You should know my business. 
and you should set it up. So on day one, I'm off hitting the ground running. And in the end is the optimization piece that a lot of us miss that after you're just breathing, you're alive. That doesn't mean that you're actually performing to peak performance for what that product and your business can do. And I think that's what a lot of what you're talking about is those gaps is they don't get filled. Businesses spend money and they don't get outcomes. So with that said, what could a company do before they go out and buy a new set of tech and workforce management or they decide, hey, do I even need this? What should they be thinking about? What should they be doing before they go out and, like you said, do it backwards and decide technology is the first thing before the process? We we break it down very simple um, internally here when we're helping organizations with the procurement process is we break it down to people, process, and then technology. So we first look at what their people landscape look like. Um, do, do you even have a workforce management department or is your workforce department a, pe- a person of one, right? And it, it can be, that can be the case and that can be okay, right? We just need to know that before we say, okay, we're going to put you in this large scale piece of technology that needs, you know, going to need an actual department to run it. Right. You if you're a person of one, then maybe you start here. So we first look at the people organization to see, OK, what's the skill sets on the team? And then we start to look at what it is that you actually need, because rather than you get sold on features and functionality, we want to make sure that what you need is what you get. So we look at the people landscape and I think people or organizations have to first start looking at the resources that they have internally and then defining what that process, because we're talking about workforce management, but it could be quality. It could be speech. It could be a contact center, you know, uh, CX, you know, customer experience. It could be employee experience. It could be so many different things that we're talking about. So I think we first then look at, okay, what's the process? What does that look like for your organization? What does success look like? Because workforce management, I've been in so many different organizations and that looks different. While the core functionality of raw data, forecasting, scheduling, intraday, those core disciplines are the same, how you may execute them or what that looks like as success in your organization and your culture may be completely different. Case in point, I was in an organization where they did not do shift biz. You know, a lot of organizations don't do shift biz. It's not a part of their culture. Right. So if I go in and I'm selling you or you're buying a piece of technology based on, oh, it has this amazing ability to do shift bids, then why are we even talking about that in the first place? It's not a part of your culture. It's not a part of your landscape. It's not something you're going to do. You you get what I'm saying? So I think we first have to understand uh, the people organization. Secondly, we have to understand what does success look like for that piece of the business that you're talking about. So if we're talking about workforce management, if we're talking about quality, if we're talking about speech, what does that look like current state? What does success look like future state? And then we start to look at the processes that we need in place to support that success. And then we layer in technology. So um, we, we have a slightly different approach to what I see some organizations do where they they just start having technology conversations 
they don't have the right stakeholders in place. And so they end up getting the wrong technology. Well, if you start with the people and you start with the what success looks like, then you are more likely going to have the right stakeholders in those conversations, making those decisions rather than it being left to IT solely to make that decision. Um, and then you get the wrong technology. <laughs> so uh, that would be that would be my thought. Well, it's a good segue to uh, the next thing I want to talk about. But I think what you just gave was a textbook example of slow down to go faster. It's counterintuitive. People just want to move to the next thing because if they get to the next thing, then they can keep getting the boxes checked on their list. But by slowing it down and not jumping straight to technology and you have to sit down and think about who do you have? What do you need? How would you get there? What? Is success look like, which I think is so critical that a lot of us don't even go that far. We just go, well, we want it because everybody else has it, or I like it, or it's something we should have. Um, if you don't know how to measure against what success would look like, you don't know if you're there or if you're ever going to get there. And so it's great that you give that dynamic because I think it's the right way. You, you have to be able to do it because then you have to go back. And, and I don't think we have to slow completely down, right? Wait, we don't have to have um, what they say, they, the saying is analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis, right? We don't have to have paralysis by analysis to where we stop operations or we've stopped doing so. We've stopped making progress because we want to analyze everything, right? We don't have to do that. Um, but I also hate or it bothers me when organ I was just having a conversation with someone earlier. I said, one of the things that I see big organizations do is they do a lot of talking and not enough doing, right? And so we want to get past doing a lot of talking about what we're going to do and start doing what we say we're going to do. And so if that means we're saying, hey, what does CX look like in our organization? What does EX look like in our organization? What does that look like? What do we need to do to get it done and start doing it? Uh, and so some, sometimes I think we get paralysis by analysis and, and we have a lot of talking and a lot of we, we want to move to the technology to fix the problem. And, and that's not the answer. Yeah, well, that, that sounds also like a lack of ownership and decision making. Right. Because if you have an owner of a project, if you have executive buy in or some form of decision making authority, um, then you need to be able to make those decisions. And then you need to move on to the next thing. You don't have to wait for perfection. You don't have to wait for everyone, like you said, to do all the analysis until you're paralyzed. You just do enough to get you 60, 80%, depending on your range of where you need to make decisions. And you just go do it and you learn from it and you move forward from it. Now, with that, you had said, you know, the tech group or the IT group would make the decision on something because a lot of these products early on were heavily tech, right? They required an IT staff to implement, to run to modify. And today we're moving towards tech that is much more user operational based. How could the buying process, selling process, implementation process be better for companies when they look at this stuff? And one thing that came to mind is the jargon, right? There's so much IT tech jargon that is spouted out there. How do you see that impacting the buying cycle and even the implementation journey? Well, I think what happens is that we all know this saying people buy from people they like, know and trust. Right. They buy from people they like, 
no interest. So what happens by default is when we use a lot of tech jargon, I think that is a sales tactic to confuse people so that they default to the like, no and trust factor. Well, I like you. I know you and I don't necessarily know if I trust you because I'm confused on the process. So I'm just going to buy this because you have two of those three. Right. I like you and I know you. Uh, and but I think what that impacts is we have more technology as we have more vendors enter the space that actually take the time to educate buyers on, hey, this is what the process is. This is what this looks like. This is what you need. This is what we're going to start to see is a lot of vendors not be able to keep up because they are selling based off of um, jargon there. And it doesn't make sense to the the average consumer and buyer. The average consumer and person who's moving into this decision making role is um, you're, you're a millennial now, right? So if you think about your call center directors, your IT people who are now making these buying decisions, they are... You're, you're, you're selling to a millennial who I don't care about the tech jargon. I care about can this do what I need it to do? And so unless you can educate me on that process, because we have tech not, we have so much information at our fingertips now. Right. If you just you, you hear people say it all the time, oh, I'm going to go to Google University. Right. So they have so many pieces of technology or information at uh, information at their fingertips that if we don't start, if technology companies don't start educating on the particular discipline, then you end up with technology companies that are irrelevant or they are not their sales aren't doing as well. And so I think we're seeing that even more so now with the technology companies that are doing that. They're starting to educate on the process. This is what customer experience looks like. Let's redefine what employee experience looks like and and starting to have that more consultative approach and education approach because all the technologies they they we're trying to solve for the same thing. So it's not like we're creating something mythical here, right? They, we're trying to do the same thing. So the technology companies, we're trying to do the same thing. Educate me on how to get there as the average consumer. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. If you don't get to the so what, you're just going to end up having people wasting time, money, effort, and all the other uh, finite things that we can't waste. With that said, let's kind of shift a little bit to a different topic. You had mentioned it earlier, and I think it's really critical for us to talk about uh, let's talk about your mission to normalize women in tech. You had mentioned in an interview recently that technology is the future. And if women aren't in tech, where are they in the future? Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, like this is not a this is not something I invented. Right. This is just an observation. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just an observation that. When we pull up the stats, when it comes to women and even minority groups being involved in technology, you can see that we're well underrepresented and technology is most definitely the future. We can see that from the stats as well. More and more consumers are more savvy. They're starting with Google. They're starting with finding their own information, even when it comes to customer service, before they pick up the phone and call, a lot of times they've already did all of their homework and their research. And so it's starting, the customer journey is starting a lot of times with technology. Uh, and so I think when we think about the statement itself, technology is the future. And if women or minority groups only make up a 
certain part of that pie, right? Less than 38% uh, was the last number I looked at is where women were represented in technology and 15% in the C-suite, then where are we in the future? We're not. And, And so as technology continues to advance, and we get further and further and consumers get further and more and more savvy, then we get more and more complex technology. We get further into the future and women aren't there. Minority groups aren't there. Uh, I've been in situations where I've shown up. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about women being in technology and minority groups being in technology and represented and normalized is I'll never, it's etched in my brain. I showed up for a training to do a training at a company and I watched person after person go in in the visitor in the visitors um line of this company and so they you know gave them a visitor's bag signed them in and they went in i get in i get up to the line and i was like hi my name is juanita i'm here to do x y and z training and it was like i was trying to get into the white house i got I did. I got asked for my the the person who uh, was I was expecting to be there. Um, uh, so many different things. And mind you, I had just saw like 15, 20 people walk in the visitor line ahead of me. And so that's just etched in my, that experience is etched in my brain to really chalk that up to not them not expecting to see me there. They didn't expect for um this young African-American female to be the person that was leading this technical class. Uh, And so, of course, I had to be out of place. Uh, At least that's what I chalk it up to. Um, And and so I think it's so important that we normalize uh, women showing up. We normalize minorities showing up. We normalize people with disabilities showing up to do these things that are outside of what we normally would think fits this model or fits this role. And so um, that's why I'm really passionate about that particular piece. So there's two pieces to that that really come to mind in the business world, right? Not culturally or government or otherwise, because it's such a big piece to try to look at um, where does the future of technology sit and who sits in that future, right? So one part is the people who are going to involve themselves in that future, whether it's men, women, race, regardless of what it is, there's a part that they play in it, right? And how do they get from one place to the other, right? Some of it could be your own determination to want to be curious and learn and be gritty and saying, I'm, I'm going to be interested in this. I'm going to pursue this. I want to be the one that's different. But then there's the other part, which is the 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 business, the company, the technology, the 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 companies that have those products and services. They have to have an environment in which the best, whoever they are, wherever they come from, can have an opportunity not only to be able to succeed, but probably foster an environment where they're trying to create that on a regular basis. They're always looking for the next leader versus um, how can I keep people below me because I don't want to lose my job or my relevance or whatever other thing people have to justify to say that they don't promote people. So what do you see as maybe one thing people, and in this case, it's going to be you know women, minorities, it, it could be with people with disabilities. What could you see as a trait or things they could do that help them be able to take on maybe the future of the tech? And then on the tech side, Anything that you think companies could do to be able to foster that kind of environment? 
Yeah, I think the number one thing that when I'm talking and I'm mentoring um, groups, right, I'm I'm saying stay curious, right, is that was one of the number one things. And I talk about that in the book that I just released as one of my keys to success is staying curious. You have to stay curious. That is how I actually developed the workforce management skill set is I picked up the book. It wasn't like I was I was a call center agent at the time. No one had guaranteed me a position. No one had guaranteed me a promotion. I didn't even know the department existed, but I was curious and I wanted more. I was hungry for more. I'm still hungry for more. I will always be hungry for more because I think there's always more to have and more to impact um, futures and generations to come. So I think from the first side that you mentioned, yes, individuals and women and minority groups, we have to stay curious and keep asking questions, keep knocking on the door um, of education and learning and making yourself valuable. One of the things I'm always talking to my um, mentee groups or or, um, in those groups is I'm saying, hey, ask questions. I don't care how harassing you may come across or aggravating or annoying you may come across. Ask questions. The only dumb question is the question that you don't ask because you're afraid to ask the question. But ask questions, stay curious. And then when it relates to organizations, I think organizations have to do a better job. It it always kind of makes me twitch a little bit when organizations say, oh, well, we can't find talent in this, you know, you know, group of people. Right. Whether it's veterans, whether it's people, uh, Americans with disabilities, whether it's whatever. It always kind of makes me twitch a little bit because I think that. If Beyonce can can staff a whole band of African-American trombone players, right? Like, why can't we find people who have the skill set that we need in our organizations? And I think that comes back to resourcing, being in the community and working with community partners that are already there doing the work. So if you want more veterans work with a veteran based organization that's already in the community and talking the language of veterans. If you want African-American men or women work with an organization that's already talking to those individuals that speak that language because they don't speak the language of your corporate mission statement or your corporate jargon, like we were talking about technology earlier. And so you're probably missing out on a whole skill set or a whole group of people simply because they don't speak your language. But that doesn't make them invaluable. That actually makes your organization more valuable because you have more perspective than you normally would have. And so I think that's what organizations can do is work with the companies or Organizations that are already in the community serving those organizations or those people groups to diversify their talent base. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. If you're enjoying and learning from this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. If you're listening to this on Apple and iTunes, we'd appreciate you leaving a review or hitting the five star button. On YouTube, you can leave us reviews, comments, and suggestions for future podcast guests. In addition, if you want to get more valuable content on the contact center world, go to nobelbiz.com. My name is Christian Montez, and thanks for listening to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Stay tuned for our next episode.